Hello, working people of Southwest Washington. You're listening to episode 26 of Working to Live in Southwest Washington, produced by the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council. We're also a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network, with nearly 150 radio shows and podcasts for working people just like you. Find out more about the network at laborradionetwork.org. I'm Shannon Myers. And I'm Harold Phillips. And before we get started, we want to remind you that the views and opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council, its affiliate unions, our guests' unions, or their employers, not even their baby new year, nobody but themselves. Well, hey, now that we've gotten that over with, Shannon, Mary Strikes Mess. What do you mean, Mary Strike Mess? We're talking about Striketober, Strikes Giving, and now Strike Mess. And locally, things have been going crazy all over as well. Here we had Nabisco workers. We almost had a nationwide strike, which included our Pacific Northwest with Kaiser Permanente. We had the Vancouver Public School support staff that was looking to go on strike as well. It is crazy how workers are coming together. It's very exciting. Even though there have been a lot of strikes and that's been making the news, it's important to remember that this amazing period we're living in isn't just about strikes. It's also about organizing. A huge number of working people across the country haven't just been striking. They've been coming together to organize their workplaces at newspapers, nonprofits, and big companies like Amazon, which didn't work out so well thanks to their union-busting tactics, and Starbucks, which did in spite of the union-busting that happened there. Yeah, but let's not count out Amazon just yet, because the workers are not giving up. Thank you to the National Labor Relations Board, NLRB, letting Amazon know, "Uh uh-uh, can't do that, we're going to rerun that election. That is how workers stand together against the employers who are trying to bust them because we are weaker alone. We are stronger together and they know it. And the thing about workers realizing they're stronger together is all these organizing campaigns snowball. When working people see successful organizing drives, they start thinking about organizing their workplace. And other working people see that and they think they may start organizing. And then more working people see that and they start an organizing drive. This has made 2021 a very exciting time for worker power. But what's all that going to mean in 2022? We've got the Northwest's premier labor journalists with us who've been watching all this worker energy over the past few months, and they're going to help us answer that. First, let's welcome Don McIntosh. Don, what do you do at the Northwest Labor Press? So I'm basically a labor reporter. For the last 22 years, I've told the stories of our local labor movement and to some extent the national labor movement. We've also got David Groves, editor-in-chief of The Stand. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm also the communications director for the Washington State Labor Council. But The Stand, which is a daily online news service available at thestand.org, is one of my primary tasks. And it's where you can get your daily union news of uh, everything that's going on in Washington State. We are so glad that the two of you are here to talk about this because it has been an amazing year for labor, hasn't it? 
I think it has. I do want to like maybe just caution a little bit. There's a danger of getting into a little bit of a hype about strikes. That said, I really am seeing a different climate in a whole lot of ways. We had the Gallup polling organization this year show that basically unions have the highest support levels they've had since 1965. What I'm seeing a lot of, first of all, we're in a very tight labor market. The economy has rebounded. Everybody who wants to work for the most part is back on the job. And employers are having a hard time finding people to employ. So I think that puts us in a very strong situation. We're seeing um, wage gains in collective bargaining like I have not seen or reported on for decades, actually. And part of that, I'm convinced, is a renewed willingness to strike by organized working people. You know, we've had decades of fear, I think, of striking based on what happened in the 1980s. But something is maybe tipping the other way now. We're seeing a very widely publicized national strikes as well as local strikes. In the Portland area, for example, we had a very successful campaign by the painters. They ended up getting uh, something like $7 an hour over several years. Um, Excuse me, $4 an hour after some pretty smart series of chaotic strikes they called the Summer of Chaos. We also saw the folks at Mondelez Nabisco beat back the traditional sort of uh, give me more tactics by Nabisco. They wanted a two-tier arrangement where new hires would be paid less. And those folks struck and had tremendous public support and beat that back. Just a couple more examples. You know, IBEW electricians uh, in our area got $9 an hour increases over two years. We had the roofers got $4 over three years. We had the machinists got $4. Also, uh, nursing home workers got $4 an hour increase. Let's see, bus drivers were seeing as much as $6 an hour increases. These are increases, the kind of which, as I say, we have really not seen since the 1990s. I think there's something in the air, and I'm very excited. Uh, maybe five years ago, people said I was a pessimist because I was a little bit down in the dumps about labor's fortunes. I don't feel that way anymore. I feel hopeful. And David, is it the same up in the Washington area? I think it is. I think that the phenomenon that we've been experiencing this year, uh, you've seen a lot written about it. I think it's called the Great Resignation, about people reassessing their lives during the pandemic and during the lockdowns and having their work experience disrupted and working virtually. I think that what the employers would describe as a worker shortage is, in fact, just a reluctance to people to go back to crappy jobs. and. Um, right now, that's what people that are fortunate enough to already belong to a union have realized that they're in a great position to demand the best contract they've ever negotiated. And that's why we're seeing it happen. Just like Don said, lots of unions are taking strike authorization votes and they're passing unanimously. And oftentimes they're settling contracts right at the 11th hour that include wage increases, the likes of which they've never gotten before. The same thing is happening up here in Washington with the electrical workers and with many other in the building trades this past year. And there have been a couple strikes, just like there have been down in Oregon. The carpenter strike in Seattle, there's an ongoing strike involving Teamsters 174 members who are concrete and sand and gravel drivers that is uh, slowing down a lot of Seattle area construction projects right now. And it is very exciting. I would say that there is an uptick in organizing. It'll be difficult to assess that until we get the Bureau of Labor Statistics numbers at the end of the year. But 
just the incidental evidence is that a lot of affiliates of the Washington State Labor Council are reporting organizing wins, and it seems like it's happening more than previous years. You both bring up a good point in regards to labor shortage, if people want to go back to work, crappy jobs, not wanting to stay in those jobs anymore. We do hear a lot about labor shortage and how people say that nobody wants to go to work, they're all lazy, versus a wage shortage, meaning people want work-life balance, people want family wage jobs, they don't want to be working two, three jobs, 10, 12 hours a day. Is this what you're experiencing in your reporting when you're talking to not only union leaders, but rank and file members? I do think one of the phenomena we saw in the pandemic is, in particular with difficulties with childcare, both the schools closing and the daycare centers closing. Frankly, a lot of mothers uh, went back to staying at home to look after the kids. And people found that they were, in some cases, able to make it work. Um, And then given that new reality, I think maybe more reluctant to go back unless the job was going to be really appealing. I think also that in my conversations with rank and file union members, What consistently comes up, whether they're celebrating a big contract victory or whether they're struggling to get that contract, is that they consider themselves frontline workers who have put themselves at risk during COVID and that the risks that they put themselves and their families in by working, often interfacing with the general public or with customers or clients, um, The appreciation for that has waned as the pandemic has dragged on. Yeah, a little bit. And when their employers actually come to the bargaining table proposing takeaways and cuts in healthcare and below inflation level wage increases, they're just astonished that they're not appreciated more. And so I think that that's a recurring theme that I'm hearing from them is that as frontline workers, that they should get more respect. Yeah, and a lot of times respect, as we all know, is your pay for your trade or your work. And so a thank you goes so far, right? And when you're working for these companies, let's just take Nabisco, for example, multi-million dollar profits because we're all at home eating Nabisco products. Our union members are out there making those products for us, historic levels of profit, and then they come to the bargaining table with cuts. I mean, it's just a slap in the face. Then they try to hire replacement workers as well. And I love how you said frontline workers, because we talk about frontline workers. And this is very, very close to a true unionist's heart. My heart and our hearts is that those frontline workers were union members, the majority. Firefighters, nurses, Retail workers, food workers, delivery drivers, so many of those trades are what we represent in the labor movement. So they deserve respect. But not all of those frontline workers were union members. And I have to wonder if the fact that union members were receiving gains, receiving hazard pay, while non-union workers weren't if that may be a driver in some of this new organizing that we're seeing and some of this new labor energy that has really struck in 2021. I'd say it could be a driver, but also it's important to keep in mind that unions are fighting for all workers. And when uh, the grocery workers at multiple cities and county levels have gotten the local government to pass hazard pay ordinances, those often benefit 
non-union grocery workers as well, even though the majority of them are unionized. And to that extent, once again, labor's advocacy is raising living standards, not just for their members, but for their whole community. Yeah, I'm going to get my crystal ball and say that I think that what's happening is this increased willingness to strike is going to generate real and noticeable improvements in workers' pay and standards of living, and that that's going to drive unionizing down the line. I'm not necessarily seeing a huge surge in organizing, certainly not as reflected by petitions filed with the National Labor Relations Board. And that said, of course, we do track, uh, there are a number of union campaigns that we've seen in our area in recent months. Uh, For example, about 500 workers at OHSU Hospital in Hillsborough unionized. We had a handful of Washington newspapers that unionized this last year. That's always nice to see. Um, First in Oregon, the legislative workers unionized. These are relatively small numbers. Where it's interesting, I think, in some ways, is we're seeing union campaigns, particularly among the youngest workers and young creatives and young college-educated workers. And for me, what's interesting about that is Gallup is already showing a dramatic uptick in approval ratings by young people and, frankly, by educated people towards unions. And so I think it's not coincidental that that's where we're seeing some cases of what we used to call hot shops. Basically, a workplace rises up and says, all right, we've had it. We're unionizing. They march down to the boss and say, hey, by the way, we're union now. We're seeing that a lot more in the last year or so than I had seen before. You bring up an interesting point that the numbers really come from the federal authorities, the National Labor Relations Board for petitions or the Bureau of Labor Statistics. What we don't necessarily know is how many organizing drives are happening right now that haven't gotten to that point, that haven't gotten to the point of these groups of workers asking for an election. I think it's part of the process, isn't it, where Before you even get to that point, you have to get your fellow workers together and start talking about this so that you can get to the petition point. Am I right about that? Yeah. And as far as the Bureau of Labor Statistics, those numbers that come out every January and say whether the number of union members are rising or falling in each state and in the country as a whole are based on surveys of people where they ask them, are you represented by a union? You know, I think that people answer that question, yes, not only once they've succeeded in organizing a union, but also oftentimes when they get a first contract and they feel like, yes, I'm a union member and I'm represented by a union. I think that the energy that we're seeing around organizing, you're right, is going to bear fruit in the coming year and certainly would bear a lot more fruit if we were able to update federal labor laws so that people could freely choose whether they want to join together in unions as intended by the National Labor Relations Act and beat back some of the law-breaking union busting that is happening on a wide scale with major corporations in this country. And that's why we spent a lot of the past year advocating for passage of the PRO Act that uh, did pass the House successfully, but has been hung up like so many other bills in the U.S. Senate. David brought up something that I was hoping we would talk about, which is the other really big change that happened in 2021. And I I would seldom say this, but it's just a fact. We have the most pro-union administration in the White House that I have seen in my lifetime. And I'll just be honest, on a personal level, he was not my candidate. I was not excited about that guy. But I give him the benefit of the doubt. And from day one, it has been absolutely unmistakable. Within hours of Joe Biden taking the oath of office, an email went out to the general counsel of the National Labor Relations Board. It's a Trump appointee who is anti-union in charge of the agency that's supposed to protect our union rights. 
The email said, resign by the end of the day or you're fired. He said, I'm not gonna. He was fired. Then the number two person was promoted the next day. She's also a Trump appointee. She gets the same email. Resign by the end of the day or you're fired. She says, no, she's fired. Then they put an acting person in. And then later on, a few months later, and, and he was fine, by the way, a career NLRB person who believes in the law. Uh, then they end up appointing this woman, Jennifer Abruzzo, who is, I, I cannot be, I'm, I'm just so excited to see what she's pushing. She is going to go to the mat. I'm writing an article about this, actually. There's been a series of tweets and memos and announcements. She is turning that agency around and they're going to fight for working people's rights. They're going to overturn decades of really terrible legal decisions and board precedents that are really hamstringing uh, workers' right to unionize. That's just one aspect. You know, Joe Biden put a union member, a former building trades union leader, Marty Walsh, in charge of the Labor Department. He and other cabinet members are showing up at picket lines. The president of the United States is making statements like I've never seen before, uh, criticizing Amazon for its anti-union practices, telling Kellogg's that his plan to replace strikers with permanent replacements is basically un-American, and he's calling for legislation to outlaw permanent replacements. Um, I, I just think, you know, he said he was going to be the most pro-union president. I didn't know if I believed him, but so far this year, I'm just absolutely blown away by the friend that we have in the White House. And it makes a difference in terms of these federal agencies that are supposed to protect our rights. It just makes a difference. Back in the 30s, you know, when FDR was president, the unions ran with that. They said, look, you know, the president of the United States wants you to unionize. And I think it just really makes a difference from where we were last year. Yeah, you bring up a good point, Don. Leadership matters. And we've not just seen leadership in D.C. We've also seen some pretty strong leadership in the state of Washington and down south in Oregon as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. I would say this past year's legislative session in Washington state was tremendously successful for organized labor. Now, the first thing that comes to mind is that farm workers will, for the first time ever, get access to overtime pay. All farm workers in Washington state. And by the time that fully phases in, we'll be the first state in the country where they all get time and a half after 40 hours a week. Um, a lot of COVID safety protections designed to better inform workers when they've been exposed to an outbreak and make sure they have access to workers' compensation benefits if they miss time because of COVID-related illness. Just a raft of labor legislation that passed. And for the same reason that workers feel like they have momentum at the bargaining table, legislators realize that these are their constituents and these people deserve respect. They should be their priority. Working families should be their priority in Olympia. I'm seeing that too very much, and I've been paying obviously very close attention to it for a long time. There was a long time, I think, from Clinton onward, when the Democratic Party leadership uh, at the national and at the state level took labor for granted. Labor, organized labor, working people, unions, they were the party's cash cow and the party's workhorse, but they didn't get a whole lot when it came to legislation. And in fact, if anything, there were a lot of betrayals. And frankly, a lot of working people became rather fed up and disenchanted with the Democratic Party. There has been a shift I'm seeing. I'm seeing the Democratic Party office holders are taking labor more seriously. They're showing up at union meetings. They're really trying to deliver. And they have in recent years. Uh, Washington, you know, David mentioned some examples. There were others. I mean, they eliminated the subminimum wage for workers with disabilities. They uh, have, for the first time, if I understand, an excise tax on the profits from sales of capital assets in Washington. It's still a little wonky, but basically read it as taxing the rich, which is a very good start. Um, in Oregon, we have had a number of pieces of legislation passed this last year as well that really 
really show a change, I think, in the direction of the Democratic Party. They bumped up the budget for labor law enforcement with our Bureau of Labor and Industries. Um, some unions have been fighting for over a decade to get healthcare for part-time faculty that work at different universities. That finally happened this year. Sick leave was extended to the construction sector, hiring hall employees. There was a law that says that basically the prevailing wage is going to be the union wage, which Washington had and Oregon now has. But there's just a number of cases like that where I think I am seeing something different and it's very encouraging. Don, a little while ago, you talked about pulling out your crystal ball. We've talked a lot about what happened in 2021. Now, the big question is, what is all that going to mean for the coming year, for 2022? Let's start in the political arena, since that's where we're at. We have elections coming up in 2022, right? Yeah, and um, I think it's fair to say that it spells trouble for worker-friendly majorities in Congress because of the combination of gerrymandering and redistricting, because of the natural um, backlash against an incumbent president that always happens in the first midterm election of a presidency, and the number of seats that are up for Republicans versus Democrats in the U.S. Senate. It's going to be a real challenging year. It's our hope that we can harness all that pro-worker energy that we're seeing among union members and other workers to generate some enthusiasm for the candidates that truly have their best interests at heart so that at least up here in the Pacific Northwest, we can do a good job re-electing our true champions and electing others that would better represent us in certain districts. Like perhaps a district in Southwest Washington? That would be a good one. I mean, uh, Jamie Herrera Butler has a number of Republican challengers, and she's certainly going to have a strong challenge from a pro-worker Democrat. And it'll once again be an opportunity for working people to get out the vote and really send somebody to Washington, D.C. that cares about wages and working conditions more than they care about corporate bottom lines. Or their party. Because I'll tell you what, I could care less if you are to the left of me, to the right of me, or right here in the middle where I'm at, as long as you are supporting my working values, which is wages, hours, working conditions, safety issues, those kinds of bread and butter issues, you got my vote. So working people candidates, that is what we are looking for in the labor movement. And Don, down south of the river, you folks have a governor's race next year. Is that correct? We do, yeah. And it's, you know, shaping up in some ways to be a pretty interesting contest. You have some of a known quantity, Tina Kotek, our Speaker of the House. She's running. So is the state treasurer, Tobias Reed. But there's also a newcomer, Nicholas Kristoff, who's a New York Times columnist, has taken up residence in Oregon and is running. And so far does have the endorsement of United Food and Commercial Workers, Local 555. Um, I'm just going to predict that probably most of labor will get behind Tina Kotek. The fact is she's really delivered a lot of really meaningful legislation for labor. She did ruffle some feathers, which we put it very lightly, with some small adjustments to PERS, which is the uh, public employee retirement system. So some people may not be willing to forget that, but we'll see. In addition, we have Betsy Johnson, who's been 
quite frankly, the least reliable Democrat in the uh, Oregon legislature. She is running for governor as an independent. It's an interesting dynamic, potentially. We're used to two-party contests, but it's possible that it could make a somewhat of a three-way contest. And then uh, Christine Drazen, I think is how you pronounce her name, is a state legislator who's interested in running. I think they're going to have an interesting primary as well. Typically, they don't actually approach unions for endorsement or interest. And sometimes they run critical of unions. So I don't cover that quite as much, but certainly it's going to be an interesting race. Stepping out of the political arena, we've had a lot of contracts negotiated. We've had a lot of organizing this year. What are the stories that you're going to be looking at as we move into 2022? I think that one of the main stories is going to be the same story from 2020 and 2021, and that's this pandemic. With the new variants, there's no question that this is going to be with us for the long term. We may be getting annual booster shots for this thing until we can beat it. I think that unions have played an important role in educating their members about the safety and efficacy of vaccines. And unions have done a great job of advocating for safer workplaces and make sure that there are real standards in place that can protect people as best as possible when they have to go to work and uh, interface with others. And I think that's going to continually be a struggle with variants that are more easily spread. Oh, gosh. As for me, goodness gracious, I actually have like a multi-page list of stories I'll be pursuing in 2022. You'll have to subscribe to the Northwest Labor Press to find out what they all end up being. NWLaborPress.org is the way to check us out online. And please do sign up for a print subscription if you like what you see. Obviously, we'll certainly be covering the political goings on. I mean, there's a short session of our legislature in Oregon early next year, and then it'll be political season. And I think labor is going to take a big role, as it usually does, in trying to get uh, union-friendly, working people-friendly candidates elected. You know, one thing we're seeing that's a little scary is uh, major climate events. We didn't talk about this, but last year we had in our area this thing called a heat dome. And quite frankly, it was terrifying. I don't think that's the last one we'll see. And I think the response to that in terms of worker safety, uh, exposure to heat and exposure to smoke in the case of the wildfires that we're now, apparently that's a new season in the Northwest. We have wildfire season now. I think this is something we're going to have to contend with. You know, David didn't talk about it, but they did pass some, I think, hopeful legislation in Washington this year, also Oregon. It's not enough, but they're trying to grapple with the issue of climate change and find out what we can do. I've actually for a long time seen that as a potential job gainer for our union movement. That is to say, if you want it built right, you hire the skilled workforce, union workforce, and make these good jobs. And I think there's a commitment to making that happen, whether it's the federally funded legislation or the state mandates. We're going to see a lot of jobs in remediating and in shifting over to renewable energy. So I'm sort of excited by that at the same time that personally I'm quite afraid of what we're facing in the alternative. You know, something Don said reminded me of something I've yet to say, and that is to plug the stand. So please. All you listeners that are interested in what the union movement is up to in Washington State, please check out The Stand at thestand.org, and you can sign up to receive an email each weekday that summarizes that day's news, or you can just check out the website at your convenience. I guess the only other question I have is, if working people are looking at all of this activity that's happening right now, with the organizing and the strikes and the support that the American public has for organized labor, what should they be looking for in 2022? How do they help keep this growing? 
Well, if you don't have the benefit of a union already, then you should talk to a union organizer. And if you want more information about how to do that, you can find it at The Stand or go to WSLC.org, which is the Washington State Labor Council's website. And you can find information about how you can join together with your coworkers so you can negotiate for better working conditions and better wages on the job. And for the folks who do have the benefit of a union right now, I'd say keep it up. I mean, we're seeing, if you look around you at your union siblings, tremendous gains, tremendous contracts like the ones Don described with huge wage gains. And you can demand more. You can expect more. This is the time to do it. And I would say keep it up in 2022. I agree. You know, working people aren't stupid, okay? They will join and they will risk when they see that it's possible to win. That's why I feel like all of us and everyone who cares about this movement, um, frankly, everyone who has a stake in it, which is all working people, need to throw down when they see working people fighting for what's right. It's about fanning the flames. It's about making sure that if workers anywhere go on strike, they need to win. They need to win because that shows other workers that that's how you do it. So I think for any of us individually, if you see a picket line, don't cross it. Come to the picket line and tell those strikers that you support it. As David said, think about organizing workplace. Talk about that with your coworkers. But I think whatever uh, fights we see in the coming year, I hope your listeners will think about becoming a part of that. Solidarity is not a charity for others. It's about collective self-interest. It means your fight is my fight and we're all in this together. I could not have said it better myself. Thank you so much for joining us, Don McIntosh, Senior Reporter at the Northwest Labor Press, and David Groves, Communications Director for the Washington State Labor Council and Editor-in-Chief of The Stand. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for having me as well. And thank you, working people, for joining us on another episode of Working to Live in Southwest Washington, produced by the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council. Hey, Harold, wait a second. Before we go, I need to let the listeners know about something. All of these stories about workers standing up for their rights, organizing unions, you know, they're all about people. People who are making a difference for working families in their communities and all across the country. So guess what? We have people right here in our Southwest Washington community who are doing that too, and they do not get nearly enough credit or appreciation that they deserve for all of their hard work they do for working people. And sometimes, unfortunately, they're even putting their jobs at risk. So the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council thinks it's time to change all of that. It's time that the people here in our area get the recognition they deserve. So February 4th, 2022, we're going to have our first annual Southwest Washington Labor Heroes Dinner to recognize our own Southwest Washington Labor Heroes. The Southwest Washington Labor Hero Awards. That is such a great idea, Shannon. But Harold, here's the thing. We know a lot of the people in our community, but we do not know them all, not even close. That's why we need our listeners, you out there, to let us know who made a difference for working people in Southwest Washington. Is it a political leader? Is it a shop steward? Is it an organizer? Is it your union rep? Send us their name and why you think they should receive one of the awards. And you send it to info at 
swwaclc.org. We want to know who you think deserves recognition for all the hard work they've been doing for the working people right here in Southwest Washington. You know, this podcast is going to be up on the internet forever. Um, Is there a date they have to get their nominations in by? I am so glad you asked, silly me. Yes, of course, there's a timeline. We need to receive your nominations by Friday, January 7th at 5 p.m. And make sure you guys keep an eye out on our website, swwaclc.org to find out more information about the awards ceremony and how you can buy tickets to attend. The Southwest Washington Labor Hero Awards is such a great idea. Like you say, too often people who fight for better treatment at work go overlooked. Well, Harold, we've always believed that working people deserve to have a voice in their workplace. And that's why this podcast was recorded under a SAG after a collective bargaining agreement. I see what you did there. Want to make sure that management listens to your concerns about the conditions you're working in, folks? Do what I did. Make sure you're working under a union contract. Remember, working people, this is your show. We want to know what you want to hear on it. Email us at podcast at swwaclc.org. Or find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at SWWACLC. And please don't forget to subscribe, pass the link on to all of your friends and family. It's an extra gift you can give them for the holidays. And while you're at it, give us five stars or put a stack of newspapers on the porch or whatever you're podcast platform of choice gives you to let people know that you like what we're doing here. One last thing, folks, David hit the nail on the head. If you're looking at all this worker activity happening right now, if you're looking at Starbucks members unionizing, if you're looking at Kellogg's workers staying out on strike to make sure that the next generation of workers are treated fairly, if you're looking all of this and thinking, how do I get involved? There's an easy way to get involved. Reach out. Reach out to your local union. Reach out to someone who you know who's in a union. Reach out to your local labor council. Southwest Washington Central Labor Council. We've got a phone number right on our website, swwaclc.org. Find out how you can get involved because There's no better time to stand up with your fellow working people and make sure that everybody gets treated fairly in their workplace. And my final thought for the year, and hopefully it will continue into 2022, is that word solidarity. What does that mean? This is something that we've said on the show many, many times. It means you're not alone. It means that if you're getting harassed at work, or if you feel that there's nepotism, or if you feel that you're not being treated fairly or you don't have a voice at work, being a part of a union will give you that voice, that security, not only for yourself, but for the rest of your coworkers. So my end of the year message 
is solidarity. No matter where you are, no matter if you decide to join a union or not, make sure that you and your coworkers are joining together to make sure that we have what we are all looking for in life, which is work-life balance, which is working to live. Thousands of working people all across the country are saying to you right now, you're not alone. Look at what we're doing. Look at how we're standing together. You can be a part of this. Talk to your coworkers. Talk to your friends. Find out how you can back them up. Let them know what you're experiencing so they can back you up. We've just been through a heck of a year. A lot of people had to come together in order to stay healthy, in order to stay sane. Let's keep that ball rolling into 2022. Let's keep standing together. We'll see you next year. Bye.